Welcome, everyone, to the last 2017-18 edition of Catfish Corner. I'm John Garcia, joined by Tennessean National Predators beat reporter Adam Vingen and Tennessean sports columnist Joe Rexrode. Gentlemen, last week we talked about the uh, disappointing loss in the second round to the Jets. The Predators hadn't yet emptied their lockers or had any, you know, exit interviews with the media or anything like that. And you both were on hand to be there for all of that. So what did you guys think and what were your takeaways from locker room cleanout day and then the address that Poyle and Laviolette gave to the media? Well, I don't think I heard anything from the players that I didn't expect to, that they were obviously... Very disappointed by how the postseason transpired. I will leave it to Kyle Turris to sum it up nicely. It's crappy, or his what was his quote. And so, that's swearing for Kyle Turris. Yeah, that that's a naughty, Kyle naughty Turris. word for Kyle Turris. <laughs> it's crappy. Uh, I believe Colton says and says it, it sucked. It really, really sucks, or something along the lines of that, to paraphrase. But Kyle Turris is a direct quote. It's crappy, by the way. Anyway, that's the sense that I got from them, that they were – disheartened by how their season ended, particularly how the Game 7 transpired. It was a little bit of a disaster, if that's putting it nicely. But they did not want that to ruin what they did during the regular season. A franchise record season, 117 points, a Central Division title, a President's Trophy. They were a great great regular season team, and unfortunately for them, their postseason did not live up to expectations, but they were encouraged by what they've seen in terms of growth from the group. They counted the loss to the Jets as another source of experience that they could use next season. They were all very excited to get back. They love the way the team is constructed. All of the things that you would expect to hear uh, from the players at that time. So uh, I wasn't surprised by anything I heard, um, but you could tell that there were some lingering disappointment. It was only two days after they were eliminated, so it was still fresh in their minds. Yeah, a few things that stood out to me. Turris, again, and he did during the po- during the run as well, the quote-unquote run of 13 games, but he, he, he took some blame, and he did again afterward and said, I've got to be better, and he's right. And so, I mean, it's good to hear that. Pecorine, again, to me, you know, went above and beyond in terms of – well, blaming himself and being accountable, but also, you know, of course, for us, I very much appreciate someone who actually lets you know how much something hurt when it's that bad for him. And he did. And he opened up a little bit. And, and he was great talking about UC Saros, too. Like, hey, you know, a quote from him, you know, he's coming and he knows it. And um, you know, I, I guess I, nothing surprising, but it was interesting to, to hear him talk about next year, basically. We don't know what's going to happen after that, but he is kind of looking at it like, hey, this is it. This is the last year of the deal. This whole team's going to be together, presumably at this point, and let's you know take one more run at it. And then with Poyle and LaViolette, you know, I, we heard a lot of we'd love to play them again, which, of course, they don't get to do, but the, you know, confidence that they could maybe have a different outcome if they played the Jets again. And certainly a lot of, hey, this team does not need to be broken up here. This team... They talked to the players, the players expressed to them, and they seem to believe the same thing, that you know this group generally, as constructed, is good enough to, to go win you know, three more rounds than it won this year. So you, know, you always, with a GM, you know, I mean, a situation like this, GMs sometimes use that platform to even not necessarily throw misinformation out, but hey, you know, not, sometimes it's like, you know, he, I, he really feels this way, but maybe 
you know, you don't want to tip your hand too much as you get into free agency and you get into trade season. But I mean, I, I think it's genuine that those guys believe that they're very, very close. And, and I think that's fair as well, because I mean, when going into game seven, it felt like anyone could have won that game. And I think if they, you know, had a do over, you know, maybe Nashville wins that it's felt like almost like a 50, 50 coin flip at that point. And if they get a fluky goal early on Connor Hellebuck and it's not, Pecorino who gives it up then who knows I mean I, they got pounded ultimately in the end but I think so, I have heard some reflections back on that series to the effect of man it was just a run over I mean a game before that they went into Winnipeg and won four nothing so it's not like they were just trounced here by the Jets they, they just were trounced in yeah. a couple of the games yeah they just couldn't find their footing after those two fluky goals and I, I think that kind of just like rattled them a little bit and we saw that they were never really able to get anything after that this team coming back you know assuming that Poyle is being genuine, as you said that you believe, and you know uh, Laviolette doesn't want to make wholesale changes, as he said, because he said he doesn't want to make wholesale changes, and he's not telling Poyle to make wholesale changes for this club. I mean, I I agree and buy into the fact that that is a learning experience for them because they had all of that success in the regular season, even during Colorado, when we talked on this very podcast about how there were things popping up in that series that weren't conducive to a long stretch run. Um, and we saw that kind of manifest itself a little bit in the, in the jet series, but they did raise their game more so than they did in the Colorado series. So I buy that. And, you know, I, I, I know I've heard a little bit on social media that you have to do something different because it didn't pan out this way. It's like, well, I don't necessarily think that that's the case because you have a good team that is getting ready to have all the same people try again next year. And I, I think that's invaluable and something that not a lot of sports franchises have the luxury of doing. When you look at this series, when you look at the statistics of that seven-game series, don't let Game 7 cloud how the series went overall. It really was a coin flip in a lot of ways. If you look at some of the underlying numbers in terms of five-on-five five play, in seven games, the score, excuse me, the shot attempts were 394 to 388 in, in favor of Nashville. Shots at even strength were 206 to 200 in favor of Nashville. Uh, scoring chances were 188 to 177 in favor of Nashville. High danger shot attempts were 74 73 in favor of Nashville. I mean, it was not a it was not a steamrolling by the Winnipeg Jets, but when they did do that, it looked but. but but when the Predators lost, they lost pretty spectacularly. That's the issue. It's like, you know, they lose game seven the way they did. They lose game three, blowing a three nothing lead the way they did, which makes it look worse than it actually was overall. I'm not saying that the Predators should not see this as a disappointment because I, I believe it is. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone else will tell you otherwise. But when you look at how just tight the series is, it really was a 50-50 series. The Jets were able to pounce on the Predators early, get a couple of fluky goals by Pecorine, who had a rough series, a really rough series, especially at home. Uh, and that sort of zapped any will from the Predators early on in Game 7. But, you know, you look at the way the season ended with that loss, and you think, and that's going to be how you remember this team. But if you look at the series as a whole, you'll see it was much closer then it appeared. What's that thing that it says on your rear, on your side view mirror? Caution: things may be closer than they appear. Whatever it is, similar to that. But you know, to Joe's previous point about David Poyle's sentiment, I've never been the most eloquent question asker. But I asked David Poyle um, at the press conference about his statement. In the opening statement, he mentioned the players said to us that you know they want us to they want us to keep this team together. And I made a somewhat flippant remark where I said, "I'm sure you hear that every summer." 
and he was pretty defensive about it and said, no, I don't hear that every summer. And he was pretty impassioned when he was saying this is different. I mean, I have, I have had, I've sat up on at this position at a table, you know, after the end of the season uh, talking to the media. And I've said that we need to make changes. I don't think we need to make changes. I think this team is going in the right direction. So perhaps my terrible question actually helped and, you know, bring some more clarity to the situation. I liked your question for the record. Thank you. But, you know, I, you know, I, I really do believe that David Poyle was being genuine when he said that. I mean, when you look at what this roster has, they do have a lot to look forward to. They do have a lot of pieces in place that are in place for a while. I looked at it today. Uh, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson, Philip Forsberg, Kyle Turris, P.K. Subban, and Matthias Ekholm are all under contract for at least the next four seasons. You still have Craig Smith under contract for a couple of more years. You have Roman Yossi for two more years. Ryan Ellis, which we'll talk, who we'll talk about, has one year left. Pekka has one year left. But you know, a lot of the nucleus of this team is here for the long haul. And the decisions they have to make this summer are not very difficult in terms of free agents, and we'll get into that as well. So I really do think that this team should not overreact to this, and I don't think they will. And it, it sucks if you're a Predators fan. You're sitting here wishing that your team was still playing and that you were preparing to watch Game 3 of the Western Conference Final against the Vegas Golden Knights. That wasn't, to, wasn't meant to be this time around. But this team is very good. Um, it can be improved, but it doesn't need drastic changes to be improved. There is something to be said about being the best team in hockey for a six-month period. I mean, that is a pretty incredible achievement. And the Predators could do it again next year. I think with that, we can try and transition into talking about Ryan Ellis, because I want to get into what we think the team needs, if anything. But I think at first you have to talk about what the situation is with Ryan Ellis. And also, as you mentioned, the free agents available this summer, of which there are not many. Right. Well, Ryan Ellis has one year remaining on his contract, which pays him the very much discounted rate of two and a half million dollars per season. He is eligible to sign a contract extension on July 1st. Um, I believe that should be the Predators' main priority this summer. The decisions they have to make elsewhere, which aren't gigantic, should allow them to devote their attention to Ryan Ellis because when you look at the pending free agents, both unrestricted and restricted, two summers ago the Predators had to sign Philip Forsberg. Last summer they had to sign Ryan Johansson and Victor Arvidsson. This summer, their three unrestricted free agents are not coming back. Mike Fisher is returning to retirement, and Scott Hartnell and Alexi Emelin are not coming back. They have three restricted free agents, UC Soros, which is an important important negotiation, but he doesn't have arbitration rights, so they really have the upper hand in that one. Ryan Hartman, who played through the postseason with a torn labrum in his shoulder, is undergoing surgery. And Mika Salamaki, Joe's favorite player, is also up for a... Uh, I can spell a, his first name right, too. Yes, for a, uh, <laughs> for a new contract. I'm sorry, I was la- laughing at... I was also trying to figure out if I could spell Mika Salamaki's first name. M-I-I-K-K-A. Two I's, two K's. Well, it's better than it's better than Henry Zollner, Chuck, right? We were talking about last Z O L N I E R C Z Y K. Thank you. Thank you. It's making sure you get the first name right. Oh, that's true. Oh, yeah. All all of the brain power was going into making sure the last name was spelled right. Like you know, Henry. If I call him Humpty Zollner, Chuck, and I spell his name right, it's fine. Oh, right. So there you go. Humpty Zollner, Chuck. I like that actually. Humpty Z. Yes. But we digress. Mika Salamaki is also uh, eligible for a new contract, and he does have arbitration rights. But you know, none of those contracts are going to be that expensive. They're not going to take up a lot of cap space. So the Predators do have 
a lot of attention to focus and devote to Ryan Ellis. Uh, Ryan Ellis said last weekend that he loves it here, and if it were up to him, he would finish his career here. David Poyle said that it is something that he's already started discussing and will discuss through the summer. I mean, I was having this conversation um, with Willie Donick and Darren McFarland on Tuesday um, when they were gracious enough to let me join their radio show. We were talking about whether or not we should have any Ryan Suter-like vibes with uh, Ryan Ellis. And, of course, Predators fans who... Um, They're already booing into yes, the mic. who already remember, I mean, who remember uh, what happened with Ryan Suter. I don't believe the Predators feel that they have this, the same situation here. From what I understand, though Ryan Suter might have been saying the right things when his contract was up, he wasn't necessarily backing them up with his actions. Um, yeah, it was kind of like non-committal, like not exactly like, oh, yeah, he's definitely leaving. But also it wasn't like, oh, this he's giving us confidence that he's going to stay. It was very much kind of towing the ground. But a uh, difference in the situation was the team wasn't at nearly as good at right. the time that Ryan Suter was here. Exactly. And, and Ryan Ellis did speak after saying he would love to be back about the bright future of this team. And it certainly sounds like he wants to be a part of it. So that's the first step is Ryan Ellis certainly sounds like an individual who wants to be in Nashville for the long term. Um, you know, it does not need to get done this summer. It would be better. It would be best. It would be beneficial for both sides to have it done. So it's not a distraction entering the season. Um, but if it doesn't get done by October, you know, they can still work on it during the season. You know, it would, I would get, I w- if I were them, I would start getting antsy if you got towards the trade deadline last next season and he wasn't under contract. Then you have a decision to make because you don't want to let someone like Ryan Ellis walk for nothing. Because if you look at the free agent defenseman class for next summer, there are two very large fish available, Drew Doughty and Eric Carlson, who have both been on record as saying they're going to get what they're worth, and that's probably more than $10 million each. Um, Ryan Ellis is not in that stratosphere, but – if he does go to open market next summer, you know he is a good cost-effective option relative to those two. If they start up, if, if a bidding war, a bidding war ensues for their services, um, even though I don't think either of them are going to get there. You know, I, I do believe Ryan Ellis wants to be here. You also have to, to keep in mind what the cap number is going to be. I mean, it's supposed to raise significantly this summer, and you hope it does again next summer so that you have because you next year you're gonna have to worry about Roman Yossi who is going to be eligible for a contract extension next July 1st so I all of this is to say that their number one priority this offseason is to to work out in the uh, contract extension with Ryan Ellis see to me if you don't get something done by the time I I understand what you're saying it's not the end of the world but I, I don't think it's a good sign I think you want to get this done, get it over with so that we're, we're not asking about it when we start talking to them in the fall and all this stuff and it's just over with. I I mean, if you can't get it done this summer, then obviously that suggests that there's a, a somewhat significant gap, right? And obviously if you're the Predators and you can get him locked up long-term at a, you know, you're certainly going to you're going to pay less than what he would get in the open market less next summer. Right. There's no about question about it. Here in a minute. But I just I think it's really important. I, 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 I do. I think it's important this summer. I think it's important that there's none of this hanging over the team or Ellis or at all next season. Um, and again, it, if it's not done, you're right. They can keep working on it. You never know what might happen. But that will tell me that there's a pretty significant difference in how both sides view this thing. And one of the things, Adam, that you said that kind of brought back flashbacks for me was 
getting to the trade deadline and not wanting to lose Ryan Ellis for nothing, because that was exactly the conversation that went on when Suter wasn't signed at that point. And at that point, you know, you still had Weber. They hung on to Suter because they wanted to make a a deep stretch run in the playoffs. Um, And I think that was the year that they ultimately lost to the Coyotes in the second round. The Radulov stuff. Yeah, I I believe it was that year. And someone can, you know, tweet at me if I'm wrong uh, on that. But so they wanted to keep him for that. And that was the hand ring. Yes, we could trade away Ryan Suter and get something for him, but then we don't have him for the playoffs. But if he doesn't resign, then we lose him for nothing. And that's ultimately what happened. And, you know, we can hem and haw about the Minnesota wild contract situation, but it just, it brought back flashbacks for me because that's essentially exactly what happened with Suter. Yeah. I was not here for that particular saga, but from talking to people that were and then comparing it to what Ryan Ellis has said and his standing in this organization, they don't see it the same way. I, and I agree with Ryan, that. As yeah. Ryan Suter. But I mean, you think about just how important Ryan Ellis is to this team. They created a position for him because an alternate captain was not good enough for Ryan Ellis, who was the runner-up for the captaincy to Roman Yossi, so they made him associate captain. You know, you saw how much better you can look at the numbers, too, I'm sure, the, the enhanced numbers. You know, this team got so much better when Ryan Ellis came back. I mean, you can look at – it was perf- almost perfectly midseason. I think it was like the 38th or 39th game of the season when he came back. They were so much better as a team in so many different areas with Ryan Ellis. He played at, at a nearly 60-point pace over a full season. He had 32 points in 44 games. You know, he is an incredible defenseman. And he deserves a lot more than he's making. And I'm looking at comparables right now. And I'm having a conversation with uh, Ryan Porth of 1025 on Tuesday. He brought up – the first comparable he brought up was Cam Fowler of the Anaheim Ducks, who signed a contract last July 1st. It was – I'm looking at Cap Friendly right now – an eight-year contract with an annual average value of $6.5 million. That seems like a reasonable contract for Ryan Ellis. I agree. I'm looking at some of the other ones that are comparable to Fowler's contract – Eric Johnson, who did not play in the first-round series for the Colorado Avalanche against the Predators in September of 2015, signed a seven-year contract worth $6 million. Matt Niskanen of the Washington Capitals on July 1, 2014, a seven-year contract with a cap hit of 5.75. So I think somewhere in that 5.75 to 6.5 range I think is a good value for Ryan Ellis. What do you think? Yeah, I threw – I mean, I wrote the other day around seven, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think – I would go on the higher end of what you were just talking there to me. I mean, to me, it's like he's around seven, and when Yossi gets signed, he's around eight. Subban's making nine, and, you know, Ekholm's getting hosed I mean, at, at some <laughs> point. But, but, you know, I mean, at, at some point, it becomes a problem. You know, you've got all these guys who absolutely deserve to be paid better. They've got a ton of team-friendly deals right now, uh, you know, uh, on the roster, which is great to be able to build a team like they have. And as we've seen with so, you know, you get, just look at the Blackhawks. I mean, eventually that catches up with you. Now you can be more prudent than they have been in some instances. And I think David Poyle is that kind of guy. But I think it's around, yeah, six and a half, seven. I guess my question is, if he goes open market next summer, what do you think he could command? If he has, let's say he, he has that same kind of a year and he's around that 60-point pace and and you know the the same overall play that he gives you on both ends and his leadership which i thought he should have been the captain a year ago by the way i mean he was my pick you're looking at i'm looking at defensemen right now with those cap hits i mean victor hedman is making 7.875 i don't think ryan ellis is worth 
Victor Hedman. Probably going to win the Norris. Right. Mark Edward Vlasic of the San Jose Sharks, who's a great defenseman, is making $7 million per. Chris Letang of the Pittsburgh Penguins, 7.25. Dion Phaneuf, who probably shouldn't be making that much money anymore. Yeah, but wasn't that deal signed like in a million years ago? Yes, I'm just looking at comparables. Mark Giordano, the captain of the Calgary Flames, 6.75. I mean, I do think Ryan Ellis is probably, you know, I said in the, you know, I think 5.75 would be an extreme hometown discount. I think anything under six and a half would be a, would be a hometown discount. But I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure he's a seven million dollar defenseman. But I think he's close. I think six and a half, six point seven five is a reasonable number for Ryan. Ellis. Yeah, I think it would depend on the team's bidding for him and what their needs are and how many teams are bidding for him because that will tend to drive up the price of certain players and also how high the salary cap goes up because then they have more money to put into guys so a seven million dollar contract you know a year from now may be looking like a 5.5 million dollar contract two or three years ago and now i'm looking at the defenseman who hit the open market in 20 in 2019 we talked about drew dowdy and eric carlson oliver eggman larson of the arizona Ooh, Coyotes yeah. as well. Oof. so um you look at some of the players down that list like jay boomister ryan mcdonough zadeno chara mark mathot anton strawman brooks orpik Jake Gardner, Nicholas Jalmerson, Ryan, like especially those top three, Dowdy, Carlson, and Eggman Larson. Those are the those are the prize defensemen. So a lot of teams who feel like they're not going to be able to get into that bidding, assuming everybody we're talking about goes to open market, Ryan Ellis is going to be very popular. He's going to be that like number two. He's yeah. like, oh well, we struck out on Larson. Let's go after Ryan Ellis. So Spend. you nip it in the bud. You you take care of it now. And yeah. to me, it just I, I just to your point, and again, I wasn't here for Suter either, but I just. I think Ryan Ellis loves it here. I think he loves the team, the organization. You know, he's got a fiance. He wants to be in Nashville. Barring to me, like an agent going rogue here, I, I, I feel like this will get taken care of relatively quietly. That'd be my guess. Right. And I do think it looks like it could happen this summer, just based mm-hmm. on, I think, both sides being agreeable to this. It's just a matter of finding the dollar amount. Would I be shocked if on July 1st, the Predators announced a contract extension for Ryan Ellis? At this very moment, no, I would not be surprised. But if it takes until July or August, I mean, they have that time. But I do agree with Joe. I mean, I agree to an extent. I'm not sure it becomes a complete distraction or a distraction if he isn't signed entering training camp. But I think it would be best suited, best served for all parties involved, not to let that happen. And looking at David Poyle's most recent track record the past couple of years, signing Ekholm, Forsberg, Arvidsson, Johansson, I mean, those guys are making money I think that they're worth, but also they're not making exorbitant amount of monies that are killing the the team as far as the weight of their, of their contracts. And so he's got a very good track record of signing guys for good value and also giving them what they're worth. Now, Yossi Ekholm might might disagree with that now, but at the time, there's those are very good contracts, and they still remain very team friendly contracts. Like, what about Soros too? Like, is it worth like if you went long term? If you really believe in Soros right now, and you went long term right now, you could probably lock him up for, you know, a significant amount less than you would be paying him if you, you know, if if you just do a bridge contract and then he becomes a starter and is great, and then you have to pay. A lot more in a couple of years, right? Well, I mean, that's David Poyle's mo. More often than not, is signing those RFA's, particularly to those long-term contracts. Ryan Johansson was an RFA last summer. Victor Arvidsson was an RFA. I believe Philip Forsberg was an RFA as well. I mean, he, David Poyle, at least in my time here, really doesn't do the bridge deal. I mean, his his 
his uh, MO to use that phrase again, is to sign these guys long-term as soon as possible. So I would not be surprised to see Saros under contract for three, four, five years at a reasonable rate. I mean, look at Victor Arvidsson signed a contract last summer that just over $4 million per season. He's already out playing it. Yeah, you can, Callie Yarncroke, same idea. Yeah, two, you know, Callie Yarncroke, it was a six-year contract, $2 million per. I mean, you saw just how much he meant to this team when he wasn't playing through this last month a lot of, of the regular season, season yeah. and most of the postseason. I mean, that's an incredibly credible value. And that's one of the reasons why the Predators decided to protect him in the expansion draft last year. Don't, get, don't so, get that started some again. Some people still honor that, Adam, well, apparently. we're going to bring that up because we're going to talk about... James Neal's still playing, by yes, the way. James Neal is still playing, but we're gonna, we were you know we can go back to Soros. But before we, before we started recording, we were talking about, well, if the Predators want to do something this summer, like what are their available options? You know, we think that forward, as usual, is the um, area of need because... You know, though they're losing Alexa Yemelin, they re-signed on the same day Yannick Weber, Matt Irwin, and Anthony Potato to one-year deals. So they have um, they have those six, you know, five six defensemen in house. I mean, you can always get another one, but don't need to break the bank. There really is it is really slim pickings this summer if you're looking at the forwards who are going to be unrestricted free agents. Rick Nash, who did not have a great rental. Uh, quarter of a season in playoffs. I'm I'm so happy I called that one. I'm just <laughs> I feel so with the, vindicated with the Boston Bruins. Uh, Joe Thornton, you know, who seems like he's destined to be a shark for the rest of his life. Paul Stasny, who the Winnipeg Jets better back up the Brinks truck. That's right, the Canadian Brinks truck <laughs> uh, to Paul Stasny's door, considering how great he's been. The Sedins are retiring. Evander Kane. An interesting one, but he seemed to fit really well in San Jose. And he also comes with a lot of baggage. He comes with some baggage. Um, so, But I do think he liked it in San Jose. You saw how well he played in San Jose. I think that's a good situation for him. Um, John Tavares, we you know that you can't see that happening here. Uh, but he's going to be the number one, uh, the number one free agent on everybody's mind on July first. James Van Riemsdyk is an interesting one. You know, scored thirty six goals for the Toronto Maple Leafs. His contract expiring has a cap hit of 4.25. Net front presence. Yes, great net front presence. Did that with little to no uh, – he, he was barely had any even strength playing time. A lot of that damage was done on the power play. He, You want to talk about net front presence, he is the epitome of net front presence. And I believe he – did he play for Peter in Philadelphia? Would they have overlapped? They might have overlapped. I think that they did. He might, he might have been a, a, a younger on the younger side at that right, one. But there is history there. Yeah, I mean, I, that is an interesting. That's an interesting situation. I mean, you don't want to break the bank for Van Riemsdyk, who here says he's 29 years old. He's going to be looking to cash in one more time. Had a great season. You don't want to pay too much, but I think if you can get him for a reasonable value, I think James Van Riemsdyk could fit here. Man, yeah, I mean, if you if that's the big if, yes, yeah. but if you could get him for a decent price, I mean, and, that's, uh, that's an addition. Yeah, and going back to last summer, I remember thinking that there wasn't a whole lot of crazy overspending last year. Was Kyle Oposo last year? There were a couple people last year, maybe it was the year before, like Oposo, Lad, a couple of those guys that were like, oh man, you, you guys are paying a lot of money for those guys, but recently. The crazy spending on 33-year-olds has not uh, transpired as much as it used to about four or five years ago. And the last one on this list of note, former Nashville Predators forward James Neal is an unrestricted free agent. He'll be 31 when the season starts. Had another 25-goal season for the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, he's had a 20-goal season in every season he's played in the NHL. 
I just can't see a reunion happening. I've already been asked that many times. He, James still maintains a home here. He loves it here. But I just, I, you can't justify paying a 31-year-old James Neal, especially when you look at some of the players that stepped up in his absence. Kevin Fiala had a great season during the regular season. Craig Smith had a career year. You don't really need, During the regular during season. During the regular just season. Just saying. But you don't really need James Neal. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would like to update their James Neal sweaters to the current Predators sweaters, not the old ones. But I just I just can't see that happening. Yeah, and you mentioned he's 31. He's coming off a, another good season with the you know Cinderella story, Vegas Knights. I mean, he's going to be looking to get paid. This may this not, is his last yeah, major contract. Yeah, this, uh, like, I feel like you may, may be able to get JVR for a reasonable amount, but... I mean, James Neal is going to be going to a team that is going to pay him money and going to uh, put him at least on the second line, maybe the first line. I don't know if he necessarily would be as good of a first line forward now, uh, but he definitely still has 20 goal potential. He still can play on the second line. He's going to get paid. Right. I mean, James Van Riemsdyk, I'm looking at his actual page now. He signed this contract with the Flyers in 2011, a six-year, $25.5 million contract with an annual average value of yeah. four point two five, and Levy would have been there at that yeah. time. Yep. His base, his salary increase. It started at two point five, then to three point seven five, four point five, four point seven five, and he made five million dollars each of the last two seasons. So, I mean, he's going to be looking for a raise. I mean, James Van Riems, like to me, is not worth six million dollars. Adam, right? uh, no, sorry, sorry, goodness, no. For our uh, for our listeners, what is the Predators cap hit coming into Let's this offseason? Let's take a look. You guys fill in. You guys okay, fill well, in. Okay, well, I, I did write. I wrote about. I threw out two names in a column this week on the on the less expensive. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm almost thinking. You know, Hartnell's gone. You know, the head Cody McLeod, different roles, but like I feel like they still need physicality. So that's what I thought. I threw out Ryan Reeves as oh, a name. I know everybody's yeah, just jumped. Yeah. People are all over me about yeah. that. <laughs> But you he know, did check Blake Wheeler into the bench the other night. Did you he, see that? he did, he did, he did. and and he's been you know giving it back to Dustin Bufflin, and then Patrick Maroon is another guy, a big physical guy. We talked know, about that. Gummy, yeah, you know? we talked about him during the uh, during the trade deadline or before the trade deadline. I agree with you, Adam. Not so much as far as what they're looking for, but I also I don't know if that tune might have changed now that Scott Hartnell and a couple of others people aren't on the team. Well, according anymore. to Cat Friendly, looking ahead to 2018-19, their projected cap hit without any re, without re-signing any of their free agents is sixty five sixty seven million five hundred thirty thousand, which leaves them with a projected cap space of seven point four seven million. But that's without raising the right, cap. The cap's right. going so up. you assume that probably will be at least close to ten million dollars in cap space. And remember, Ryan Ellis, if he signs, that cap hit does not count next season. It goes to the following season. So it's not that's not going to eat it up. So. I'm looking at let me. See, I didn't see what Patrick Maroon's stats were. He had 13 points in 17 games with the Devils during the regular season. I think he was fairly quiet during the playoffs. He had uh, one goal in five games. They lost in five to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mm. You know the thing about Patrick Maroon, and I would have to see exactly where he slotted in with the Devils. Was a lot of his success at Edmonton was was you know contingent on the fact that he was riding shotgun with Connor McDavid. Anybody is going to look I can't skate and I would look good sitting next to Connor McDavid. So I mean would Patrick Maroon look really good next to Kyle Turris or you know would you know I feel like Patrick Maroon if you want good value out of him he has to play with a high end center. Mm. You know I'm not sure you know Patrick Maroon Patrick Maroon is going to have a great statistical season next to Nick Bonino. 
You know, what you about to- if uh, Kyle Yarncroke goes on the fourth line and plays yeah. down there? If you get him for like 1.5 or something like that, what was his salary this past salary, year? Two mil. His, his cap hit this year was one and a half million. And g- given the way that he plays and his age and everything like that, I don't think it would be uh, a surprise to him to kind of take a little bit of a pay cut. I think that yes, players he, around those he years... He's 30 years old. Yeah, are, are kind of used to that, especially if they play, you know, third, fourth line minutes. So, And especially uh, if you're talking about coming to Nashville and talking about coming to a team where you can win a cup. Yeah. I mean, that's that's attractive yeah, the, to the, people. The Predators have... The Predators' sales pitch to free agents over the past couple of years has been better than ever before. I mean, I can't imagine it was easy in the early days of this franchise to get free agents to come here. But now you have, you know... A, an established track record of success, whether in the postseason getting to the Stanley Cup final or winning a President's Trophy. You know, David Poyle really loves to push the no state income tax angle a lot. Great atmosphere, great place to live, mm-hmm. you know, great for families. I mean, Kyle Turris, you know, moved here, you know, in November when he was traded. He has a wife and three young kids. I mean, he was gushing about how great it is for his family once they got settled down here. So if you have kids, it's a great place to raise children. You know, Joe never got around to writing this column, but since it's just a baby boom in the Predators dressing room. Yeah, um, I know. I had I had so much stuff on that baby boom that I was saving. We should talk about for- that a little bit, actually, since we haven't since you weren't able to write it. You know, what did you learn talking about the Predators? Essentially, everybody is engaged or married or or, or, or having children or, or, having or children about or to have children. children. What, what did you learn from that experience? Well, I don't want to leave anybody out, but let's see. So you have Yarn Croak, Watson, Eckholm. And I'm, I'm always forgetting. Nick someone. Bonino recently had another child. Though. Another one, but like first children for all these okay. people. And Matt Irwin. You said Matt yeah, Irwin. Matt Irwin. There you go. Yeah. So those, and I, I think that was his first. Yes. And then you have Yossi's engaged. Johansson's engaged. Um, Ekholm's engaged too. Uh, PK Subban is dating Lindsey Vaughn. You know, it, it's, it's basically it was going to be a big like you know baby boom love is in the air. But I but I think. The sort of idea is, you know, you, you're seeing this young team kind of grow up. And what does that mean? Does that, I, I guess now we could write that, you know, uh, it, it ruined their postseason. <laughs> you know, they should not have they had families have, or significant others. But They should not have spent quality time with their significant they others. They should have been not breaking yet. down Jets film all that time they were having families. Yes. But, but no, it's, it's interesting because this, all of a sudden it's like, wow, baby here, baby here, baby there, you know. Uh, but I think, again, that's. That's sort of where they are as a as a team. They're sort of growing from this young team, you know, like in 2015. Look, look at these young predators giving the Blackhawks all they want. And now they're kind of not middle aged, but they're they've got more late twenties key players and some guys getting their second deals and things like that, which right. all makes for a challenging you know situation to keep it all together. But yeah, I guess we'll have to just hold on to that one until the fall. Yeah, um, I think we we sort of got off track from part of the conversation you were asking about UC Saros earlier about his contract. I wonder how much the Predators, I mean, they know they have Pecorine under contract next season. I wonder if they've started doing internal projections of whether or not they see Pekka still being around past next season. I would not be surprised. I can't imagine Pecorine playing anywhere else. Like, I can't imagine. There are players who will spend their entire careers with a team and then they'll go somewhere else to finish it. Like it's, Joe Namath with the 49ers. Uh, Mike Madonna immediately comes to mind. Where did he go? Again? He went to Detroit. Oh, that's right. He went to Detroit. <laughs> so many of those guys. Yeah, okay. Chris Give Chelio, it a shot. Chris Chelios. Well, at least he played a few years in yes. Detroit, but yes. No. yes. But, like, 
I can't imagine Pecorine playing anywhere else, but I also can't imagine him retiring after next season. Like, we've talked about this. Yeah, he's too good to, to think too, that it's just over in a year, right. right? So I would not be surprised if they re-signed him to a one- or two-year contract next summer to continue. Maybe he wouldn't be the starter anymore, but he would still be a part of the team. I'm wondering if those, if they're having those projection, internal conversations and projections in terms of figuring out how long UC should be signed for this summer. Who um, I, I know that you just closed your laptop, but do you have the UFA goalies for 2019 I can, around? I can certainly look that up because I don't, to my knowledge, the UC Saros is obviously the you know the next coming of Pecorino. Are we he looking at goalies available this summer or next? Summer? Next summer, because my thought process is is after ne- after this next season, where us, we are expecting the reins to be kind of passed over to UC Saros. I don't think that they have a goaltender in the system that would serve as the backup coming through, or that they would be comfortable with. So I was just curious right, who here, is there. Here are the UFA goaltenders in the summer of 2019? Other than Pecorine. Sergei Bobrovsky, Semyon Varlamov, Marc-Andre Fleury, Mike Smith, Jimmy Howard, Cam Talbot, Steve Mason, Brian Elliott, Michael Neubert, Anders Nielsen, uh, Ryan Miller. It's slim pickings. Yeah. And a couple of the big names at the yeah. top, but, you know. But that's really. what but but that's what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, I mean I don't I mean, know. Ryan they, Miller would be great. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. You're like getting Steve Mason or uh Brian Elliott to be a backup for, you know, twenty games a season or something like that. So but yeah, I mean I, I would agree with you for the most part, Adam, that uh I would depending on how this next year goes for Pecorine, the Predators probably wouldn't be that averse to signing him for a year or two if he can still play. Uh, but I was just curious what like what the fallback plan with that is. They don't really there aren't very many fallback plans. I mean you look at if you're looking at solid backups that summer you've got Curtis McElhaney and Peter Budai and Keith Kincaid who will probably be starting in New Jersey by then. Yeah. Um, Alex Stalock and you know, you don't really – like I said, you know, Steve Mason, Brian Elliott, Andres Nielsen, Mike Smith, it really is slim pickings. Um, so they probably would be better off having Pekka around as a 1B or a backup for UC if that's how it plays out than going out. Like think about Mike Fisher. You know, look at the contract that Mike Fisher signed when he came back before his career ended. Um, his last deal um, was a – let's see, I think it was a two-year – it was, yeah, it was two years, eight point eight million, so four point four each year. I mean, Pecorino is not going to be a seven million dollar goaltender after next year, but he certainly would be a three to four million dollar goaltender. So, you know, you better you know it's dance with what you know. What's it? The devil you know versus the devil you don't. What, what's ever that? Saying? You, you got it. Devils yeah. in the details. I don't know. Yeah. Devil went down to Georgia. Running with the devil. Yeah. <laughs> nice Van Halen reference. Yeah, but do you, yeah. do you guys? <laughs> are you guys? Would you say you're? Certain or close to certain that UC Saros is going to be that guy that, you know, a top-shelf starting goaltender for the Predators for a long period of time that can lead them to to win a Stanley Cup? Next year is going to really tell it to me. I mean, the things I've seen from him year after year continue to impress me. He had a rough start to this this past season um, statistically, but he really got it together near midseason. I thought he was great in the second half. Whenever they called upon him, I mean, look, we've talked about this game many times, but the fact that they were comfortable starting him in Tampa on Easter Sunday in a game against Tampa, uh, against the Lightning, I mean, that speaks a lot to how confident they are. I know it was the second half of a back-to-back, but 
you know, they could have started UC at home against Buffalo and then started Pekka on the road against Andre Vasilevsky, and they chose not to, and UC was great. I mean, the confidence in him in the organization is, is extremely high. You know, Pekka started 59 games this year. We can talk about this. We can give our, each our number. I really do believe that Pekka should not start more than 50 games next season. You know, give UC 30-something or high 20s, 27, 28, and then we'll see. I, I mean, UC's got to prove it, but from what we've seen in limited duty, he's been able to show it. He just has to show it with a bigger body of work over the course of a season. Yeah, I'm going to echo pretty much what he said because we haven't seen Soros for a long period of time. But what we've seen is pretty encouraging. You know, the the detraction on him is his size. Is that is his size going to be able to stand up for a long period of time in the NHL? Um, so far, he's done a pretty good job of, you know, not making it look like he is uh, very tiny out there. Um, and he you know, makes up for it as, you know, Adam said last season with explosiveness and quick reflexes, things like that. So that's not to say that he can't do that, but it'll just be one of those things to watch. But I I would kind of be surprised if we don't have the answer by the end of next season, like by the time the playoffs come, no, okay. You know, Pecorino is going to make this playoff run and then, you know, UC Saros is getting the reins next year or UC Saros is making this playoff run, which means he is definitely starting next year. Um, but I wonder if Pecorine does something like what Joe Thornton's doing now, or, you know, you play until the end of the year and then just sign a one-year deal with a team for as many years as you want to go. And uh, I think it was Elliot Friedman mentioned that one of the reasons Thornton is doing that is because of the familiarity in San Jose. And with the knee injuries that he's had the past couple of years, he didn't feel comfortable going to a place like New York where all these doctors were new and he had to establish that rapport. They were already there in San Jose. And we know how comfortable Rene is here and how comfortable the Predators are with him there. So I, I would think that maybe that is in the cards for that. But, yeah, I would I would even go go lower than that, Adam. Uh, did you say 50. less 50 games? Yeah, I would say 45, honestly. With you, the, you're splitting it, basically. You're yeah. getting 50-50. Yeah, I mean, that, you got to see what you got. And, you know, that may go up or down depending on how they do. see what you got with 30-something games. I'm yeah. not sure. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I would have I would have said I guess about thirty for sorrows like about yeah about fifty thirty split whatever fifty one thirty one fifty two you know but yeah I just think I of see it going a little, couple more either way on that yeah I just think of the mileage that Rena has on him now and we know that you know, statistically after age thirty five goaltenders numbers just plummet you know there are some guys that can that can play past that but like statistically Pekka. yeah like Pekka um, so we'll see I mean I think that that next year will be a, a very big question mark and. We won't know about it until we see it. I do think that's one thing to watch. Peter Laviolette pretty much said that Pekka is going to enter next season as number one, and it's up to UC to dethrone him. Which I agree with 100%. Well, I agree, too. I mean, we were. I, was, I remember tweeting this out, I think, during Game 7, because I really didn't have anything else to say about the performance on the ice. But if the Predators, it was, it was, it was when the score was still 2-1. Um, you know, if, if UC you know, backstop the Predators to victory in game seven. And those were the only two goals that the Jets scored. I would, I, I would not have been upset or I would have supported the decision to start UC in game one against Vegas. I really would. That would have been really interesting. Yes. Really interesting. We will never know, but I, I believe if that, if, if UC would have, you know, backstopped the Predators to a win after they had such a crappy start in game seven, 
You got to go back to the hot hand. Start game one at home with UC Soros against Vegas. Do a Philip Grubauer, Brady Holpe kind of thing, you know. So, yeah. who knows? Revisionist history at this point. And we will never know. Gentlemen, anything else before we sign off for the foreseeable future? I, I want, One more thing I, I wondered from you guys is what you I, – I wrote about this this week too, but Tolvin and to me, Ali Tolvin is a big big X factor for, for next year. I mean, if he's – he was only 19. Peter Leverett brought up a good point that, you know, look at Forsberg. It's not like he instantly came in and became that guy. I mean, Victor Arvidsson, he, he, he mentioned both those two guys as guys – who I think had to learn something about the physicality in, involved and, and the explosiveness needed. And I think Tolvanen definitely is not there yet. But I just wonder what you guys think is realistic for him next year. I think, I mean, he's gone off to the world championships and is playing really well. Um, but I agree with what Peter and David said the other day that it is a tough situation to throw a kid into the playoffs especially against a team like the Jets. I really do think that the series against Colorado was made for Tolvanen. It's a fast series. It's a skilled series. But when they got to Winnipeg, I was like, yeah, he does not work in this series. Similar to last year you know, when the Predators played the Blackhawks in the first round, you didn't see Vernon Fiddler and you didn't see Cody McLeod, but you saw them when they played the Blues and the Ducks. You know, I really do think he needs to bolster that middle six. Um, you know, I think he certainly has the potential to score 15 goals at least um, – maybe 40 points. I mean, I think a 15-goal, 40-point season would not be out of the realm of possibility for Tolvanen if he's given a lot of power play time, too. I think that's what they should want to see from him. Yeah, and if he doesn't do that, I honestly really don't think it's that big of a deal. He has uh, a lot of growing to do just as a as a person, as a hockey player, um, as do a lot of people his age. So, yeah, I, I mean, I remember people th- thinking that, you know, oh, hey, Forsberg should be doing this, but he's not. Like, give him time. You just got to give it time. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't have any reason to argue with what Adam said. Um, I think if he scores, uh, his, his, the basement is 10 goals. I, I don't really see him scoring more than 20. I could be wrong. He could go out and prove everybody wrong and do that. But I think that the, especially with how the offense is going to be distributed around uh, around the team, that I think that 15 goals is a pretty realistic expectation. Well, I think there's a real chance he's not even a factor next year. I really do. You know, I mean, we'll see. But And you're right, of course, on, on the time. But with the window this team has, if you were able to, if he's able to have a great summer and get there next year, to me, that's, that's a really nice luxury. And then we're talking about these forwards they need to add. Now you've added another threat. And I do think if he's on this team and he's playing, I mean, he's going to get power play time. I think that's where he really where will he show his value. Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for sticking with us this season and for listening. Please uh, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Uh, we'll probably pop in maybe once or twice through the off season. Yeah. Probably close to the draft slash free agency. Yeah, maybe like a joint episode yeah. on that because I don't I th- don't think that there's enough juice in the draft unless they make like a gigantic trade right. or something like we'll, that. Re- we'll recap after free agency once the dead period starts for which is really July second is when the NHL goes dark. So yeah, we'll have at least one or two more episodes this summer. Yeah, absolutely. So everyone, once again, thank you so much. Uh, you can follow Adam Vingen at Adam Vingen. Joe Rexford is at Joe Rexford. I'm Jay Garcia, 36, and thank you all very much. Thank you.